And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 137. My name is Damone Carter, aka Dim One. Per usual, I am joined by the Broskis, uh, Mr. Nate LeBlanc. How's it going, man? Hello, Damone Carter. I'm doing okay. California's on fire again. Um, you know, it's it's tough not to let that get me down, but you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. Thank you for asking. Yeah, yeah. And also, another ray of sh- sunshine in the Zoom <laughs> is always Mr. David Ma. How's it going, man? Yo, man. Um, going okay, Damone. Um, good to be here with you guys. Um, sort of like what Nate was saying. Um, California's on fire and uh, 2020 is looking up, huh? So. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we're, we're happy to be here with you um, and present just another dope episode, man. I mean, I know we've been kind of on our own jock for the past uh, three, four <laughs> episodes, but, but shit, this is fun. We've got another dope interview for you guys um, coming up in just a bit. But before we get to that, I want to bring on a special guest who's going to chop it up with us at the, the proverbial table. Um, he goes by the name of Abe Bean. He has an article coming out in Passion of the Weiss that's going to be super interested, hotly debated. It is a ranking of all the original Source 5 Mike albums. Abe, how's it going, man? Gentlemen, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for joining us here. Um, this list is super interesting. I think the source and the five mic mystique um, is something that is somehow under talked about. It was something we took for granted mm-hmm. uh, for many years when the source was like the only thing of record. Um, and so it was interesting to even just see like, oh, all these albums got five mics. Um, and so we, we just want to talk about the list a little bit. But before we do that, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit about how did you even come up with the idea to do this? Like, what was the seed for this? It's a good question. Um, I think I came across the Kim ranking at some point, or I was just doing some kind of deep dive one day <laughs> and saw kind of the late trajectory of where the Five Mike albums went. And it sort of started there. And, you know, it was it was just kind of this silly list that I was going to throw up on the uh, site. And then as I started digging into it, all these kind of interesting threads kind of coming loose, came loose. And um, I actually got to speak to a bunch of uh, editors and writers from the magazine. And uh, it was just, you know, a lot of these are uh, more fun to uh, write than I would guess they ought to read. But this one in particular, just like getting to talk to these writers that like, you know, shaped our consciousnesses without us even realizing it. Mm-hmm. And they're all just still so interesting and in love with hip hop and like getting the politics behind this magazine that shaped so much of my youth was like, it was great. That's, That's awesome. so dope, man. Um, I know that you spoke to uh, Jonathan Schechter and uh, Jerry Barrow and um, Mike Gonzalez as well. Um, I, I've done a bunch of work with those guys and I Frank wanted Morales. To, yeah, yeah. I wanted to just, I wanted to sort of just see um, if there was, a, you know, if, if, you know, while you were um, doing research for the article and while you were talking to them, if, if this, if that gave you a different pers- perspective on 
what you initially thought was going to be coming in. There's a great uh, uh, cutaway in The Simpsons where Bart goes to Mad Magazine and he imagines it as this like kind of wacky place where Spiver yeah. Spiver is like shooting each other and then he walks away and that's exactly what happens. And it's like, that's, <laughs> that's how I imagine the source office is being. It's just like red man smoking a blunt in somebody's office. And, you know, like people are break dancing on conference room tables and it just seems like that's exactly how it was. <laughs> that's so uh, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and we're, we're not going to go point by point, but I want people to know what we're talking about if they haven't read the article. So I'm just going to go really quickly from 15 to one. And then I'm going to return to 15, which is ridiculous. And then we're going in, to jump into the kind of point by point uh, portion of this. So number 15, the naked truth, little Kim, come on. Uh, number 14, Trilogy by Bun B. 13, Nas Stillmatic. 12, Let the Rhythm Hit Him, Eric B. and Rakim. 11, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by our future president. Uh, 10, one for all, brand Nubian. And, and honestly, at about 12 to one, these are all stellar, amazing albums that unquestionably are huge classics. But anyway, let me continue with this little bit. Nine is The Blueprint, Jay-Z. Eight, Life After Death. Um, Biggie. Seven, America's Most Wanted, which spell correct would not let me spell the way it wants to be spelled by Ice Cube. Mm -hmm. Six, Scarface the Fix. Five, Low End Theory by Tribe. Four, People's Instinctive Travels. Three, De La Soul is Dead. Two, Illmatic. And one, Aquemini with the Partridge in the Pear Tree by mm. Outcast. So, Abe, why the fuck is Little Kim the naked truth on this list? Uh, I mean, it's very very tough to get a read on what the actual answer for that was because i wasn't actually able to speak to anyone who was at the magazine when this happened and i would assume they disavowed <laughs> it i would say if i had to guess a couple things were behind it first and foremost is the rumor that dave mays was actually dating kim's manager at the time sure. um but then if you want to give a little more credit um it seems like the the whole office felt really strongly about La Bella Mafia, which was the album that preceded it. And it seemed like a good moment in their history to award a five mic album. There was like a lot of turmoil at the magazine. And um, I guess they wanted to stay true to their roots. They, Kim is probably an artist who everybody had loved and respected for a long time for good reason. But I mean, I actually re-listened to this album in preparation for this and just... What a piece of shit. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. Oh, man. I, I, you never want to give the makeup Oscar or whatever, and that's, that's really what this feels like. I remember, was, I worked at the record store in the time, so thankfully I didn't have to pay for it, but I remember taking this home because of the five mic review, and I was like, oh, shit, let's see what this is all about, and, like, skipping through tracks, getting mad, um, just, like, just not <laughs> understanding shit. what was going on, like, five mics in what universe but we don't have to dwell on it and i know we have some other kind of points uh, i think but, but hold but but yeah, before we do before we move on i do want to note that this is the only inclusion of a woman on this list and no what problem. year what year was this if i'm not mistaken 2005 so my question and what let's let's get into it but my lingering question is when does the source become lose the relevance of of the five mic and like at some point their ratings just 
you know, respect to everybody you talk to, but there did come a point when their rating system just seemed like a joke. Um, and, and I kind of wonder if, if uh, the naked truth might have been the beginning of that. But we will not belabor it. We have all chosen uh, other albums to make us angry um, <laughs> or, or to celebrate. Dave, what, what jumps out on this list uh, for you? What is the album that your, your mind, eyes gravitate towards? Well, like what we were saying earlier, I think, I mean, a lot of these, re uh, a lot of these albums, for good reason, are fucking incredible albums, right? I mean, number 15 is a joke. Um, but, you know, I, I actually wanted to, to bounce this off of um, Abe a little bit. What, what are your thoughts on um, Kanye's Dark Twisted and sort mm. of its placement on there and, you know, mm. how that came about? So I actually would have, especially if I was there at the moment, I would have given it five mics and... Um, kind of the reason why I rank it. And, and this is really important to address. And for someone who hasn't even read or heard of this album or have any idea what the website I write for is or what I normally write about, this is going to be so far away from the trees. But um, it's really not a ranking of the albums. It is a ranking of making the decision in the moment, trying to evaluate the context, trying to put and place the what it meant for the magazine to make those ratings in the moments that they were doing it, which is a really important distinction because mm -hmm. otherwise you'd say, I can't believe that you think America's most wanted is better than life after death. And frankly, right. I don't, I mean, I think they're both great albums, but I don't think one is better than the other. It's about mm -hmm. what that ranking meant at the time, the courage and foresight and vision that it took to make that initial ranking. And um, yeah, I mean, Kanye, if you remember, it, it was in uh, it, just a bulletproof album. Like it, I think it got 10 from Pitchfork. Every single critical outlet in the entire country gave it a perfect score. And I think for good reason, I think as it ages, people are going to kind of start with their contrarian takes on whether it's good or bad or whatever, but it really is kind of the perfect articulation of his grandiose orchestral super produced just incredible vision it's it's mm -hmm. it's you know it's it's he he really dragged the ship to the top of the mountain and and i i still to this day love it um i know that some of the people i write with don't feel the same way about that and i try to address that in the article but um the reason why it's so low is no no real commentary on the album and i barely even wrote about it in the piece because what else is there to fucking say about it totally yeah. totally True well that. for the record i totally agree with you i just wanted yeah. to sort of see you know, where, where your head was at. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's important that you would, you addressed your actual thesis for the piece, because if, if this takes off and maybe we can help get some eyes on this and it will take off, no one's going to care about your nuance or your subtext. They're all, they're all going <laughs> right. to be mad at you about where you ranked their favorite album. And that's just the, we, we always say that arguing is the sixth element of hip hop and lists <laughs> are what brings the arguing to the forefront. And right. so we're here to do a little bit of that with you today, but I think you should be commended for trying to do the harder thing and to mm -hmm. contextualize these yeah. things in terms of not only where the culture was, where the magazine was, what the people were at the time thinking and the art. Like that, that's, 
that's quite difficult. There are quite a, quite a few different vectors that you were bouncing off of. And so when you and I were initially talking about this, you, were, uh, you didn't use this term, but I'm going to use it. The piece is fairly discursive. Like there's a lot of different parts of this and there's was, there was a lot of things you were trying to juggle. And I think that the piece is well put together in that way. And now I'm also mad at you for ranking Eric B and Rakim below, uh, you know, five or six, five or six other different things. And this, this is my shtick on that. Um, you talk a lot about what makes like the stew that makes for a five mic album. And it's usually like the mature statement by someone who's earned their stripes. And so can I, can I, yes, please. It, it, It becomes that in the, in the, in the infancy of the magazine, that's not actually what it was about. And that is kind of the tightrope. And again, I really apologize to anyone who's just walking into this blind, but it's, it's starting from a place where they are elevating new talent that they believe in and, you know, exciting people. And they, were, they really were incredible gatekeepers and kingmakers for the most part. Um, to, do you, do you want to give some criticism to uh, let the rhythm hit them before I respond to it? But, but I just wanted to say the story of the source becomes how this upstart kind of passionate and, and very um, insightful young outlet calcifies into an institution who still had a lot of great passionate people working there, but kind of, it, it, and this was a tough thing when I was writing it. You don't want to take shots at anybody, but it becomes a, it becomes a place where they feel the pressure and, and the, the history of, of their decision-making on their mm-hmm. own rankings. Mm. And it becomes harder and harder for them to come off that five mics. So, I'll get into it later, but like, for instance, Kendrick doesn't get the five mics for Good Kid, Mad City. And me and Kim actually talked about it. And you understand why she did what she did at the time. But the basic answer is Let the Rhythm Hit Him is the kind of later in the life of the source acknowledging of greatness rather than the uh, uh, crowning and coronation that it turns into later. Yeah. Really well said. Totally appreciate your uh, contextualization and what you were trying to accomplish there. But I, just to like kind of like be a dick, it's like I would I would also like completely agree with your list if we were just doing like a bar argument. These are the better hip hop albums. If you like switch that with either One for All or People's Instinctive, like we could just if you could just go base kind of things. And I have to say, I I don't think people talk about Brand Nubian as a recipient of a five mic kind of career. And I don't think people acknowledge that One for All is a five mic album. It's, it seems to be the least lionized like mm. member of the Pantheon here, mm. even though I love that record. And I, I thought mm. what you said about it was pretty interesting in the piece. But um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll leave it there. But I would just say if we were just doing musical things, I think it would be a little higher, but your contextualization makes perfect sense. And I actually agree with it. And I would agree part. with that. I would, I, I think people's instinctive would be way further down the list for me personally, if I was just ranking them in order of how much I like them. Yeah. And I love Tribe. I've just always thought that album was kind of juvenile, which is the point and you address it in your, your piece. And so it, it, it meant more for the source to be out ahead of that, which is, is fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, that thing about Brad Nubian, that's really interesting. I wonder, Nate, if that has something to do with that being such a crystallized moment in time. It's like even they weren't doing the 5% or stuff as much two and three years after that. 
It's a very, it's very connected to a very particular time and place. Um, uh, the, the one, when I looked at this list and my eyes kind of popped out a little bit, cause I didn't remember this was the Stillmatic mm -hmm. um, five mic rating. And it was interesting to hear you talk about this idea of in the beginning, it was about uplifting um, these kind of cultural gems. And then towards the end, it becomes more like a pageant or this kind of coronation, a political process. And when I, when I see Stillmatic on the list and you, you, you do an excellent job, you're right. Anything with Braveheart party on it should probably not have a five mic rating. Um, but it was this idea of uh, coming out of the, the kind of Nas and Jay kerfuffle. Um, I, I do feel like I could see there being this political process to say, we, would, we want to crown uh, the people's champion. I kind of remember Nas as being an, on the Stillmatic run as like, Jay-Z is the, the corporate fat cat that we're kind of tired of and Nas is the people's champion, and this is why we're, we're elevating this. With that being said, I mean, I'm still a little bit amazed that that's, that actually got a five mic rating. I was like, wow. And this is what, 2000 and... I believe uh, either late 2001 or very early 2002, the actual review drops. Yeah. So uh, no, that December, one... Sorry, I, I believe it's December 2001. So literally coming three months off of, the uh, of the blueprint. blueprint. Yeah. And also, like, you know, when the blueprint happened, obviously, and probably well before the uh, first time they heard it, or well after the first time they heard it, 9-11 happened. So yes. yeah. it's a really interesting moment in New York. Um, you have this battle that has kind of breathed life into the New York rap scene. This is what everybody's talking about, everybody's thinking about. And I think for Nas to hit back with uh, Stillmatic and, and to hear Kim talk about it, just the energy of that moment. And that's why it's ranked so low. I really think getting carried away in that moment actually mm. interfered with their critical function. I mean, like you mm. said, Life After Death is eighth on the list. And I love that album. And it was one of the most important albums I had ever heard when I was, you know, uh, 12 years old. And the reason it was, it was because like I was so swept up in the emotion in of the, the moment. moment. But yeah. when you're a critic, you're theoretically supposed to be able to rise above that emotion and take this thing as a document and kind of interrogate its quality. And I, and those two albums, which I like, and I like Stillmatic a lot. Like yeah, same, like, same. In the writing, I say if they just ended it after ten fucking songs, and it's like <laughs> one mic or something. I know, yeah. I know, one mic isn't the tenth song, but just yeah. a just a cursory edit would have made it such a bad <laughs> album. <laughs> yeah, it's it was tough though because I, I feel like um, you mentioned that getting swept up in the moment, but on. To some level, I think hip hop, maybe more than other genres, is that type of music. It is a very now music. And I feel like uh, with putting that spin on it helps me understand a little bit. I would say, yeah, life after death, that, that kind of seems. Uh, but what else are you going to do? Like, it's Biggie. He's, he's passed. This is his last thing. Like, I, I, this is great because your article is kind of helping me have probably more empathy uh, for this, <laughs> for the source critics than I, yeah. than I, than I had. Um, let me ask you this, Abe, 
there's a, a kind of a, a gaggle of four and a half mic um, things. And they actually went back and did some revisions after a while. To, to listeners know, mm-hmm. this list is the ones that originally got five mics, not revisions. Um, are there, was there anything that like just barely missed five mic status that you think should have gotten five mic status? Well, I brought up Good Kid. I think that's a great example of one mm-hmm. that came late in the life of the magazine. That would have meant a lot. Um, I mean, I can, you, all the all the obvious ones that aren't here, right? Ready to Die, I believe was four and a half. Sorry, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Um, Chronic, mm-hmm. uh, Enter the 36 Chambers, probably any number of Wu-Tang solos. Mm-hmm. It was interesting, you know, you, you actually brought up something that I hadn't really considered, which was because most of what I was focused on was the East Coast bias that clearly runs through the whole list. Um, but the lack of female representation, if you had to nominate a five mic, it's sorry, if, am I, can I ask questions on your own? Absolutely. Topic? You're at the table. Uh, yeah. Freely. If you were going to nominate a five mic uh, female driven female artist for anything that comes before 2005 after 2005 whatever where what what would the album be this this album that started this fucking podcast the argument that we we had uh mc lights eyes on this a good one is yeah. is an incredible album it's not on streaming so it, it's hard for me to corroborate that but i will die on that hill um that it was it was a really great album uh in one of the best of its time which was in the middle of the golden era um what year was that 89 that's like right if, if you notice um there's no three feet high and rising on this because the artist uh, the album reviews and and i just wanted to say to get uh, back to something we started a lot earlier brand nubian uh let the rhythm hit him um uh i'm sorry i'm, I'm spacing um people's instinct one for maybe. all and I believe Peoples, they all come out in 1990. And that kind of devalued a little for me. And also, if you read the reviews, they're mini paragraphs. Like, they really didn't mm-hmm. have the review system down. So the whole, uh, thing, okay. the, the whole thing was kind of bizarre, right? You have 30 years in 15 albums, and four of them come out in like a six-month span in 1990 mm. when they first started doing reviews. So that's why some of them probably got devalued a little more than they should. I love Let the Rhythm Hit Them, by the way. That's the one, when yeah. you brought that up, I was like, you know what's funny is um given all that it it still pretty much holds up like they got lucky when they were on their five mic capsule review spree that they hit on some historically great albums um in the in that time and it just i just have to point this out like looking at the scans in the album and i love to make visual references on our audio podcast because it's real fun for the listener um (laughs) when i was reading this they like one of the reviews in particular might've been of the blueprint. Half the writing is on Jay-Z's shirt where it has white print and they're using white <laughs> letters. And it's like, I, I basically couldn't read any of them. Like, it's just like one, I have old man eyes too. I had like, you know, I just, I wasn't delving that far into it. I was more concerned about what you wrote, but it was just a, such a funny vestige of old school hip hop graphic design where there's just stuff everywhere like it was so busy and you know i love jeff but i also have to read passion of the weiss on max reader view so that i get black text against a white background and not the way the site is designed so in a way we're carrying that through even with how most people will interact with your article um on passion of the weiss but it was just funny that like when you said like read the article i got a little panic attack i was like oh i can't 
<laughs> I can't see. Yeah, Fortunately, totally. you got to see it as a Google Doc. So. Yes, totally. Uh, um, hey, Abe, um, I, was, uh, I was just kind of curious, you know, on a personal level, um, of these albums, which ones resonate the most with you, personally? I mean, you know, my, my, I literally have a son named Nas, so Illmatic is obviously a very special album to me. Wow. Really? Um, Whoa. Yeah. Nasir or Nas? Nasir, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, dope, dope. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Aquemini was kind of like, I, I loved AT Aliens, but Aquemini was kind of a waking up moment. Life After Death, like I said, is like... Foundational. Yeah, and, and not just that, it was like, like and, and something that was said earlier, there's no right answers to this, right? Like, sure. the idea of objectivity is so kind of stupid and in and of itself arbitrary and like, how much emotion in a moment affects you. Like I remember sitting with life after death, probably more than even ready to die because it would come yeah. after Biggie dies. Like mm-hmm. everybody yeah. is an open wound. And right. that's why it's like ranking it where I did kind of takes all the fun out of it. But to be honest to the exercise, I had to do what I did in my personal feeling. Um, Low in theory actually, it was a big college album for me. And again, then you start just doing all this dumb shit where you're like, well, here's where I was. Totally. So that's what, <laughs> um, but yeah, all of them, I, with the exception of probably the last two, all of them <laughs> have a place in time for me. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's like, uh, you said something that I thought was really interesting about objectivity. The sources five mic rating system, I think is the closest that we got as much as, as much as people argue they're, the culture is too divided now. We'll never have never. like one resource that we look to again to like rate things. And I think the source for all the warts that I didn't understand that they had until now, um, I, I think they came the closest to being lightweight, low key objective when it came to rating the records that mattered um, for a while. And then they got to Naked Truth, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I would just say 12 out of 15 ain't bad. And sure. the huge glaring omission from this list is Midnight Marauders. I, it's it's yeah. just like, I just, I, oh, I'm pissed understand. off about it still. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's their fault. It's fine. It would have given them what, a quarter Great. of the list. So that's, yeah. you know, right. I mean, in my opinion, they, they deserve that. And that's where it should be. But it's fine, but I'm still mad about it. <laughs> I mentioned that in the piece that it's 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 a head scratcher because, it, I mean, I'm a low end guy, but there's a lot of people that would argue for Midnight Marauders. Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. But uh, with with Tribe, you can't go wrong. Um, Abe, we we're excited about this piece. I know that uh, it's supposed to drop very soon, so if you're hearing this, you could probably check it out on Passion of the Weiss. Um, and we're we're just. I'm happy because this is not just a listicle. This is not just like, here's some album covers and like 25 words to get people pissed off. It's a, it's a real in-depth piece and um, just a great piece of work, man. So we, we appreciate you uh, coming on the program. I should have probably wrote it as a listicle if I wanted people to actually read it, but it's not my style. <laughs> yeah. You want to get to complex or what? Um, all right. So we are now going to transition into our interview are very this is serious journalism our interview with uh mf grim which you know shout out to dave ma for just consistently bringing dope guests onto the program uh mf grim 
talk to us uh, about his incredible Benjamin Button, Forrest Gump-esque story. Uh, super cool, humble guy. And uh, we're really proud to bring you this interview. So without further ado, here is our interview with MF Grimm. Dad Bod Rap Pod, we have another dope interview for y'all here on the, the Stony Island era of Dad Bod Rap Pod. On the line, in Zoom, we have the incomparable MF Grimm. How's it going, man? Things are good, man. Peace, brothers. Things yeah. are good. I can't, yeah, I can't complain, man. And, and that's, that's awesome. You know, Dad Bod Rap Pod is dope, man. Thank you. Thank you. We, we, we appreciate that, man. We're, we're definitely big fans. Um, I wanted to start by just talking a little bit about your beginnings, kind of your origin story. And I'm, I just have to bring it out. It, it says here that you were discovered by Morgan Freeman and that you, yes. had, that, that you, were, you were cast on Sesame Street. Yes, correct. Well, he's one of the people. Like there, There's also another woman, I'm sorry, I can't think of her name, but she, she was my mother's friend. My mother passed away, so I can't um, think of the name off of the top. But yeah, it was Morgan Freeman and one other um, woman that my mom used to get mad when I don't bring her up. But I, I'll, get, I'll, I'll get her proper name for you. I'll call okay. my dad. But yes, yeah, he was my next door neighbor. Well, he lived in the building next to the building I lived in. So uh -huh. um, yeah, it was his, um, his idea. And um, at the time, it was um, right down the street. It was like maybe two blocks away, three blocks away. It was like on the, in the 80s, like on 81st, 81st Street, I think it was, okay. in Manhattan. So, you know, so he was like, he told her to take me down there. And I went down there, of course, with my mom. And, right. um, and Jim Henson personally picked me to be on the show. And he That's was, you wild. know. Yeah, I, I have a... Very good life, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, that's, there, that's there, an amazing. Actually, there's a video of it. There's, um, there's like a video footage of me, like I'm about four years old, five years old. It's up at, um, <laughs> if, you're familiar, if you're familiar with um, Muppetpedia, it's like the Wikipedia for Muppets. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So if you type my name in, yeah, you type okay. my name in. You'll see me. I'm, I'm, I, and I am, I'm black as fuck. Cause, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> No, you good. You good. Go ahead. Okay. I, I got, I, I'm, I'm wearing my, I have on a, my daishiki. Yeah. Yeah. I have my afro, my daishiki. <laughs> and I, I was riding um, Snuffleupagus. I was the first kid to ride Snuffleupagus. That's uh, so sick. Yeah. I, so I look like Hannibal, like the young Hannibal. Yay. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Liberating Sesame Alps. Street, man. Yep. Yep. That's I crazy. Crossed <laughs> I crossed the Alps, man. Yep. Crossing the Alps. <laughs> 
Hey, Percy, um, you know, yeah. when we spoke um, earlier, um, and especially uh, sort of on this tangent, you mentioned um, Jim Henson being one of your heroes. And uh, yes. I, w- I, f- I found that fascinating, man. Can you sort of share with us your experience with Jim and, you know, the, the impact that he made on you? Well, okay. Um, you know, I was five, so four or five, whatever. <laughs> right. But I do, I do remember him always telling me that one day I would be a great man. Mm. He thought he found me very intelligent. I, obviously, I was on the show. I made it. Um, I told him about it. I can tell you one thing about him that I t- truly remember. Is, uh, I told him I had a dream because um, my tooth came out. Right? And, mm-hmm. I, and I told him about the dream I had that Big Bird, I was with Big Bird, and he helped me find my tooth through Sesame Street. And he literally turned it into a segment for Sesame Street. So, you wow. know, I got, I got my first writer's credit in production when I was like five, <laughs> you know? But, but because of him, he, he literally put me behind the camera when I was a kid and mm-hmm. showed me, to show me how the, how, the, um, how the show was made. And ever since I was five years old, that's all I wanted to be was Jim Henson. I wanted mm-hmm. to get into, um, um, that world, just just like really, literally, um, once I went to school, you know, all the kids, they would ask me about, you know, Sesame Street and what it's like and all that. I told them, you know, like, shit is fake. Like, and it, it, they didn't believe me. <laughs> but I was like, all, all this, I saw all this was fake. So when, uh, I started watching TV, see, you know, like confused, like, well, damn, we did that in the morning. And you know, like, oh, we did it in this day, but they're showing it on the TV now. And, you know, like, so I wanted to get become a programmer, to be honest. Like, mm. ever since I was a kid, I got into, like, really television programming. So, anyway, that's, that's my experience with Jim Henson. He, so. he, and, and he literally put me with Arthur Ashe. So I did a segment with Arthur Ashe. And Arthur Ashe gave me his racket, his tennis racket, when I was a child. Wow. And he he also told me that one day I would be a great man. He was like, you just keep it up. And Arthur Ashe was the first, literally the first black man that I remember seeing on television. Mm. So to be with him and then to see him, you know, it, it was life changing, you know? So, so I, I, I can't, yeah, I can't complain. I had a good life, man. Sesame Street, my mom did her best, you know, being a black woman in the 70s, born in the Bronx, moving to Manhattan. And, you know, hey, you see how hard it was. So for me to get that opportunity, I can't say I never had an opportunity. That's so cool. I want to um, advance the timeline a little bit and um, start to talk about your illustrious rap career. And I was wondering if um, you could tell us if you have any stories about times where you were trying to get a deal. Um, that time in your life, or maybe there were a couple times in your life where you were you were younger, you were hungry, and you were trying to get on labels. Does anything stand out about that time, or is there any like insight into that time you can kind of tell us and the fans? Well, actually, I um, and initially we never really had any problems trying to get a deal. Okay, we just didn't we just didn't really want the deals at right. the time, mm. to be honest. Okay, so and so really. Um, after the battle, I was in the battle for world supremacy, you know, which was Superman competition with DJ Clark Kent. You know, that kind of gave me a lot of um, exposure as well. But um, 
Yeah, we really never had any problems. I mean, like if you name them, they they were they were knocking on the door. Um, initially, I was going to go to Atlantic Records, but um, I'm, you know, unfortunately, you know, I I was shot, and when I got shot, and you know, brother, he was killed. It was um, we had the, it was a stigma where after that nobody wanted to mess with it. You know, mm. at that time it wasn't fashionable getting shot. You know, mm. so. So um, that that was the big difference. When I was when I was walking, things of that nature, and I, everybody had a deal on the table. I was going with um, Atlantic. It was an A and R there that I found very very um, understanding and and really was w willing to do the things that we wanted to do, how we wanted to do it. And um, his name was Kevin Whitney, if you're familiar. But he was a great A and R back then. I know. Um, and but unfortunately, us getting shot, you know, there was a, there was um, it it just basically fell off the table because of the circumstances. Like you know, it it was it was headline news at that time, you know. Yeah. So it was it was understandable, and because of the um things that was related to, it it caused a chain reaction. But mm. um, in, in certain ways, believe it or not, it was a blessing. Um, and on the business aspect of it, because it taught me, like, you know, um, being in a the wheelchair, they said they didn't know how to market me. And being ignorant, self, for my own purposes of being ignorant, I'm like, what's marketing? Like, mm -hmm. what do you mean? You know, right. so I had to go on a quest to even understand what it meant to, mm -hmm. to, to, to market yourself. So um, in return, I became... Uh, started we st started an independent label, started learning other things, working with other people like um, Twelve Nations. That's what we called ourselves. Like for instance, um, Fat Man Scoop, the Executioners. Mm -hmm. it, it, everyone involved, Sean C. Then there was nobody. Um, mm -hmm. They all went on to, obviously to be legends and great and successful. Mm -hmm. But I got I got my hands into learning about marketing learning about publicity, promotion, product placement, and, and then um, basically um, distribution because mm. as, as much as I kept learning, it was still a problem. So I got into distribution. Then I started, I just started cold calling um, stores and then I started cold calling around the world. And then next thing you know, I had about maybe 400 accounts, 600 accounts wow. here and there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and just started a distribution company so because of um trials and tribulations it 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 educated me you know mm -hmm. and i always say this i was before i was paralyzed physically i was paralyzed mentally and mm -hmm. just i had, i had a role reversal more mm -hmm. so yeah. that's incredible um can you talk a little bit about how this event happening to you kind of changed your approach to the music Prior, you had kind of come up as a through battle rapping and had gotten a lot of notoriety there. How how did this event and like you learning about the music industry change your music, if at all? Definitely. Um, well, I have to say before, especially in battle rap, you know, about being a battle MC and entering competitions, it is so much like boxing to a degree that um, it, it, it's a it's a different energy and. Once I was shot and I, my, my um, physical form 
has changed. I, it, it was uncomfortable being in those type of um, circumstances. Like, because I mean, I damn near want to fight sometime in a battle, you know? So it's like, you know, now I'm, I've been humbled to a degree by, by the creator, you know? So it was like, it taught me that I had to use my mind more than physical. So in saying that, I stopped. Um, I think, I, in my opinion, I stopped, like, you know, with the more the bragging rhymes and, and you know, I got more than you. And, you know, because I, I was humbled because it was to the point where I had to go through not just physical trials and tribulations, but this is a very costly um, atmosphere to be in, you know, like um, to be in a wheelchair, paraplegic. So I, I lost different ways. And then I saw family, you know, lose um friends you know they had they're they're concerned about me they're taking off you know so i had you know so i realized that i had more of a um responsibility um and you know, i had to learn how to um disassociate with my ego to a degree because um it, it became very easy for me to can I, I could easily continue to write you know stuff that I don't, I don't even, I'm not living or stuff that um, I might not be feeling, but to be true with myself and to also um, develop because it was like, it was another life. It was like, okay, I was a caterpillar. Now I'm in the cocoon. I'm coming out a butterfly. So mm. it was like, I needed to, I didn't want the people that around me that would take a life for me or die for me to just be for no reason. Right. There's a lot of people got me in, got me to where I'm at in multiple ways. So it was like, look, I'm going to have to um, find, embrace humiliation and develop and learn and grow as a being and not settle for mental and physical atrophy. So um, I just thought it was very important. And I, I knew that um, I wouldn't be as popular. I wouldn't be accepted as much. Like I'm not, I'm not as popular as many others and not to take anything away from anyone else, but I know it was, it was going to be a rougher path. It was either stop or take this rough path because I, would, I wouldn't want to be responsible for anyone who follows in my footsteps and now I'm not walking. I, I'm, 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 I'm literally pushing. So it's like, look, if you want to continue to follow me, know know that this is the direction I'm going in because um you know it, it's easy to for you know for someone excuse me now I don't want to speak for no one else it's easy for me to write about hate like oh yeah I hate you I'm blow your brains out that, that comes easy but you know I want it to be as easy to write a love song I want it to be as easy to write about my pain or being sad or just the simple fact of a tree or, or the beauty of, of, of life. So I wanted to be able to be, um, have a diversified portfolio of life and not just have this one perspective. It would be, you know, be the young dude on the block angry and now be the old man angry at the same things when I was a young dude and it's, there's no development or growth. So I went on a quest for that. I, want, I stopped. Um, like when I was young, I was around great, great, great freestylers off the top and they're, they're, they're legends for it. And I 
decided to to channel my energy toward being a writer, learn how to to um, express myself in a different aspect, and I, I sacrificed everything else that came with it in order to uh, achieve that personal goal. That's one of my personal goals. So, um, and it, it made me feel good, you know, like my, my mother, my sisters, they, you know, and unfortunately one of my nieces, they all passed. And I'm proud the fact that before they passed, they saw the development in me and turning into someone who didn't care about his life or anyone else's life to being fully um, converted into someone who I care about your life and I care about my life, but I care about your children. I care about, and it, it took me some time to become this person, but I'm thankful that I became this person before I leave this atmosphere, before I leave this planet. Dope, dope. Um, hey, Grim, I, you, you mentioned, you know, uh, earlier you had mentioned um, all of the famous characters you've met and stuff through your career. And, you know, you were at the uh, Battle for World Supremacy back in the day. And then, yeah. you, and then you ended up going to LA, and uh, you met up with a, with a, with a young Snoop Dogg, and um, you also met um, Dre and Suge. Can you let us know yes. a little bit about that LA trip and the relationship that you had with those guys? Well, actually, it came through a dear friend, Lady of Rage. Mm. Uh, she, she connected me with everyone. On it wasn't called Death Row or anything. It was called Future Shock at the time. Mm. And it literally came through her. Um, I was I moved out to Cali, and okay. she hit me. And she hit me up. She, you know, she's a just she's a good friend. So she was already plugged in, and she was like, "Well, come see me." She said, "I'm I'm gonna be here." She gave me, um, I think it was called, um, I'm sorry, it's the Solar Building at the time. Um, so she told me to come check her. But she never like really told me who she was with. You know, she was just like, "You'll just come." You know, so mm -hmm. came there, and I mean, it was it was Dr. Dre there. You know, so I, I got to talk to him for a moment. Mm -hmm. And at the time, Snoop was there too. But Snoop, I, you know, he he didn't have anything out. He was he was he was just chilling. You know, Snoop was just there. He was with Rage, moving around and stuff. But oh well, let, let me back up. I'm sorry. Um, what I did was I gave Rage a demo before that. Mm. So she heard it. She liked it. She was like, yo, was, you know, she really approved of it. She said, come down. You know, my friends, they like it too. They want, you know, they want to talk to you. That's why I came down. And then it was Dr. Dre, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, Snoop, he was there. He, he was like, yo, man, I loved it, man. He said, yo, I want to do something with you, man. I want you to help me with my album. And I, it, it was all there. But you know, I mean, time went by. Unfortunately, me and Snoop, we didn't hook up about his album. I got shot. But, you know, I learned a lot from being around Dre. I learned a lot from being around Suge. I learned a lot from being around Rage. And and all of the people up at Future Shock slash Death Row at that time. Mm, thank you That's, for that, man. Yeah. And That's it amazing. Was, it was beautiful then, you know. Um, it was it was a beautiful, you know, I... I I'm, it saddens me how it is at this moment, mm -hmm. but it was it was beautiful to see all of them come together 
and to build what they did, it made me, it gave me hope to come back to New York and hopefully I can do the th same things that I learned from them because I learned a lot from all of them and DOC, you know? Yeah. Um, DOC, DOC was the first person that I got to talk to. He was at Epic Records and about publishing, you know? Mm. I, I, I didn't know anything about that. I was just learning. I was, you know, I was out there ghostwriting. I was ghostwriting and I was working with Geffen Records, ghostwriting for Geffen Records. I was making money with Nike and but still didn't really understand the significance of what I was in. Mm. So I got a lot of jewels from all of them. That's dope. That's dope. So you've had these interesting touch tones with like iconic figures. You talked about Jim Henson. You talked about Dr. Dre. Um, you also uh, did a lot of work with MF Doom. And I'm just wondering if you could kind of elaborate on how you guys kind of first interacted and how that partnership came to be. Well, actually it came through, if um, Curious, Curious George. Mm -hmm. Okay, yep. well, Cur Curious is a brother to both of us. So we met, we met like in our teens through Curious, we would be at Curious house and we just hit it off. And from that point, we were just running hard and just like, just getting things done. We were like, I mean, when we were moving, I mean, there wasn't even something called, I mean, independent wasn't even considered independent. Like that was, that was just laughed upon. It was like either you get to a major or you don't do shit, you know? <laughs> and Doom and I, we had, a, we had our minds focused since then, you know? It was always, let's do this independently. Let's show them, let's show them. So we just, we just went, we just went in. We just kept doing things, and and I mean, I mean, it's history now. Everything we've done is went down as being legendary. But Doom Doom has always been brilliant, and in, in his you know music making and his concepts. Me, I'm I'm a little bit more rough around the edges, but I handled all the business. I made mm. sure things got done. I made sure that we got here and there and. You know, just we we work together. We work well together. You know, but you know we haven't worked in as as you know, many many years. And he's gone on to much success. So it shows that he's brilliant in what he's doing. Dope, awesome. Dope. Thank you, um, Grim. I have kind of a weird question, and I'm hoping you can roll with me on it. Um, let's see how this goes. So, uh, having read your uh, story of your life as a comic book version and uh, kind of delving into some of the stories that you have. It seems like if, if like I was just reading that without knowing anything about your music, that your music would be like kind of what we consider to be like gangster rap, like tales of drugs and the streets and, you know, conflict. Um, but but your, your music is quite a bit different from that, though it has elements of it. It's, um, it's more about life. I guess. And that's more of what I would consider to be like an underground hip hop. Like I just, I, I guess I'm wondering, like, do you purposefully set out to um, make sure that your music is more well-rounded and comes from different perspectives or have you like thought about um, incorporating more of like kind of like street tales into your catalog? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Well, it, for me, I think it was, especially when you said purpose, because I had multiple purposes. Um, when it comes to 
I'll, I'll say my family, my people in the streets, I had a purpose. My purpose was to get them out of the streets. That's what I was, my, my, my goal. And in that, I couldn't mimic them totally because I'm, I'm my own person. So it was to the point where it was a combination of the, the learning from my mother. I have to say my mother, because she always would make me read. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, anywhere I went, I had books in my hand. People used to get upset, like, damn, put the fucking book down. We, <laughs> we, we, we hustling. This, we, I, could be, I could be in the middle of a shootout and have a book in my hand. So it was just to the point where I, I was fascinated with like Shakespeare. I was fascinated with Edgar Allan Poe. I was fascinated with, with just certain realms. And I, I was in the midst of trying to combine the realms. And also, I mean, I can't speak for everyone because things have changed. But at that time, it was like, it wasn't really a badge of honor to be just always talking about the streets, like yeah, I mean, like the violence. You, we were trying to get away from it, right. you know. Seeing people get murdered and their heads blown off, and you know, cops beating your ass, and everybody getting uh, two million years. So it was like, okay, implemented in there, but at the same time, um, you know, like try to, um, um, how can I say, um, uh, the the word diversify come again to me. In the sense of, um, it, I just I wanted to be different. I just wanted to, I I I thought that was our way. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. it, it like to show some type of civil, civil being civilized within a very savage um, environment. You know that. I I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, thank you. Because because well also because of the people I don't want I I didn't. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for what one still considered the streets, you know, mm-hmm. they they, ra- they helped me, you know, it wasn't all bad, the bad things did happen, but it wasn't all bad. So um, I did my best to try to show another side of the streets that we had a chance to elevate. Mm. Oh, thank you for that, man. Thank you. Damone, you... So... Hello? Yep, sorry. So you you have a, a comic book that basically details your incredibly storied life. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that project came together and, and where the, the kind of seed from it came from? Yeah, sure. Um, I don't recall what party, but I, I had to I had to um, go to an event, and at the event I met someone who. Um, he worked at DC Comics, but at the time I didn't know. He, we we were talking. We were introduced by someone, and I told him my name. He was like, "Well, you 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 MC. Your name's MF Grimm, right?" I was like, "Yeah." And he was like, "Hey, my name is his name is Casey Sehas. Just I don't want. He's not a secret, yeah. but um, <laughs> um, he was like, "Yo, my name is Casey, man." He, I was like, "Hey, what's up?" So we started talking. He was like, "Yeah, I work at DC Comics," and I was like, "Yo, I always wanted to write for DC Comics." And he was like, yeah, what's up? He was like, yo, I I said, I wanted to write Superman, Batman. And he was like, well, you ever thought about writing about yourself? And at the time, I was like, nah, man, that's boring. I want to write about (laughs) Superman. Like, like, really? I I got some Batman shit I want to get off my chest. (laughs) And he was like, well, he said, look, he said, if you write something about yourself, 
he said, I'll put in a good word with DC Comics and we see what's up. And then afterwards, you can see about writing for Superman, Batman. So I was like, mm. bet. I said, if that's all it takes. So I, I went home and I thought about it and I was like, damn, what should I say? I was like, so, okay, let me just, I'm going to just dot down all this, you know, the bullshit I've been through. Like, and just jotted it down and he walked me through it. And then we, afterwards, we, um, I had a couple of people to pick from for illustrations and I went with Ron Wimberly, if you're familiar and, and you know, the rest is history, but um, really it was Casey Seha's idea for mm -hmm. me to do it. It wasn't like I came to him like, Hey, I got this story about myself. I, I was like, this is going to be the most boring shit in the world. I, I didn't get to do nothing except, you know, get shot, go to jail. I've done all this. He was like, they, he was like, Hey man, you, you don't know, but they love it. And I was like, okay. So they loved it. And it got nominated for several awards, for Eisner Awards, if you're familiar with the Eisner Awards. Yeah. That's like the Grammys or, or the Emmys of comic books, the Oscars of comics. Um, you know, I've been on NPR and um, let's see. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to think of everything. Time Magazine. It was like, it, it just did a, so well for me in the sense of um, publicity. I'll say that. A lot of other things came with it, but publicity, it, it definitely got me out there. And it, it also um, led me to a whole nother world. Um, you know, I got to work with Tom McFarlane, Stan Lee, you know, um, so many people that embraced me, Dwayne McDuffie. You know, they all became like mentors to me and, and kind of shaped me for the rest of my life, like what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll just share this little bit with you. Um, we were talking a little bit before we started the show about, about the comic book and how, how much I loved it. And like, I, I was a fan of yours. I had like Landslide 12 inch on Fondalum and the MF Grimm, MF Doom split EP. And like, you know, I, I knew who you were. But reading the comic took it to a whole nother level and it made me realize that there was so much more depth to it. Like I just considered you mostly to be a lyricist and I knew, I knew you were in a wheelchair and stuff, but it just, it, knowing where you come from and then experiencing your music and like your, um, your position in hip hop as kind of a label owner. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say like an elder statesman, though I mean, no offense at all. Um, you know, oh, a respected you. figure in, in the hip hop culture, knowing how much that was earned by the experiences that are recounted in the comic, like really gave me a new level of respect for your work. And I say that to say this, um, can we talk a little bit about American hunger as an album? And specifically it is a, um, it's a rangy and um, in-depth piece of work, but it, there's so much there. Like, it, can you just like it, tell me, like, what were you hoping to accomplish with that three LP presentation, and do you feel like you were successful with it? Um, great question. Um, I would have to say what I wanted to accomplish was that I looked into the Guinness Book of World Records. And well, well, let me tell you how it started first. Please. It started that I got, I got um, the initial track for each one of the disc is the same sample. Mm. So it was just flipped three different ways. So 
I couldn't decide which one I wanted to use. So I wanted to use all three. So I decided to do three albums, like to start it off. Cause mm -hmm. I just, I didn't, I, I just thought that that would be appropriate. Right. But then when I realized that I needed to do a triple album, I, I, I looked up to see if it was ever done. And I looked in the Guinness Book of World Records and they had the, you know, of course the single, the first album and then um, the double CD, but they didn't have for triple. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it independently, finance it myself and get it done and get in the Guinness Book of World Records. So in a certain way, certain ways, yes, I did, I did uh, achieve my goals of getting it accomplished, but it was never entered into the Guinness Book of World Records, which it oh. should be in there today. Mm -hmm. So oh, wow. far as I'm concerned, far as I'm concerned, no, I haven't achieved what I want to achieve. But when it's in there one day, then yes. They, if I'm still alive, if I'm still alive, you know, we'll see. Yeah. But that, that, that was the reason I did it. And I was told at that time, an independent album, excuse me, an album by a solo artist, a triple CD would never, never come out on a, on a major label. Maybe, right. I think only someone like Bob Dylan, uh, you know, some, I think um, something to that nature. But so I was like, you know what? This is my opportunity to be put into history. Like I might not be considered the the dopest MC. I might not be the 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 you know the the richest MC, but I can I can achieve this goal when everyone was telling me I couldn't. So I I got it done. I I literally at first I was going to do a hundred songs, seventy five on each. Uh, excuse me. I, I wanted to do a hundred songs. Please excuse me. Yeah, no worries. But but they they um. Uh, my the people around me, my friends, they was ready to kill me. They was like, no, that, <laughs> I said, look, man, this is enough. So I just said, okay. And we just did 60. But, but that was all that really could fit on the CDs at the time. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, that's, that's what that's about, American Hunger. It was just to break records. But, you know. Yeah, there's a lot to love about it. And I, I guess... As a listener, I, I just want to say this because this might be the last time we ever talk. I, I admire your taking that slant on it and doing that. But I think the impact of it with the starting the segments off with the same sample or the same sample flip different ways is lessened on streaming. Mm, you know, yes. Like I spent quite a bit of time with that record a couple of months ago, right after I read the comic and I didn't get it. So it, it's great yes. to have this podcast and I get to talk to people about this stuff, but I just wanted to like give you some feedback as a listener, but it's, I'm now I'm going to go back and make sure that I absorb that fact. Well, well, it was a different time then. See yeah. back then, yeah. I mean, you really didn't have too much choice, <laughs> you know, like you could skip you, you. That's about it. But if you throw the disc in, you hear it at, you hear that's the first one on each one. For sure. So each one is a different story telling the same story. Um, how I, what I survived through, you yeah. know, the different, the different, I mean, I was born in the Bronx in the seventies. I survived the era of Reagan. I just survived the, the crack epidemics. I, I've, so I just taught, I coded it in there. So yeah. it's just like, it's kind of just like a documentary to a degree, you know, mm. for a time capsule, you know, but we're, 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 we're in the fast food, fast food nation right now so you know it, it's it really doesn't um equate to now but hopefully you know 
in the future when that's back in style, CDs and, you know, and maybe in a hundred years and, you know, they'll sit back and listen. Absolutely. So, hey, Grim, um, you know, I mean, we've, we've been covering your extensive history and, and all the characters you've been intertwined with and stuff. And um, I just want to touch base on sort of what you've been working on recently. Um, I think uh, through our previous conversations, you mentioned you're starting a media company and other stuff like that. But I want to know, are you doing music as well? Uh, yeah, actually, um, through the me my multimedia company is called Magnetic Force, mm. right? Ma MagneticForce.com. The first album is an album that's produced by entirely produced by Darko the Super, mm. and it's the it's I can tell you it's the Hunt for the Gingerbread Man Part Two. It's called Got Get it. the Do called Get the Dough, and it's it's incredible. You know, mm. uh, we, we, Darko and I we put in a lot of work. So that's going to be the first thing on, on um, magnetic force, and um, so yeah, I'm still I'm still doing music, but I'm also, if you don't mind me saying it, I'm in other realms as well. Of course, publishing books, mm. I'm in um, film and television, working um, with several different creators, mm -hmm. like based here in the states and also like in Australia, um, on some animations, some pit about to pit pitch a few things. Excuse me, and um. I, I'm I have my hands in a few different things, but it'll all make sense soon. You know, it's a gradual, um, it's progression in my life. Like, you know, like, but yeah, but I am an MC. I also, you know, I've been um, focused on a couple of other things. Like, yeah, maybe another EP or two, you know, but all, you know, 2021. So okay. um, the, hunk, the Hunt for the Gingerbread Man Part 2, that's January. It'll be dropped okay. in January. Dope. Dope. We really, we really appreciate you coming on the program, MF Grimm, talking about your story career. Um, and we'll definitely keep checking out for everything you got coming up, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Yo, thank you, man. And like I said, I love the show, man. So it's an honor to be on here and to, to build with you, brothers. Um, you know? That really so, means a lot to us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank bless you. Man. Peace. Thank you. Okay, peace. Rap Pod, that was our interview with MF Grimm. Want to thank him again for coming on the program and, and opening up to us about his incredible his life story. I mean, I'll just be honest, I I didn't I didn't know too much of any of that uh, prior right. to this interview. So yeah, super dope. His his story itself is so hip hop. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Besides, besides just being surrounded by all these characters and just a well-known DJs and, and actors even, even on Sesame Street, like all this stuff, like, oh, like all the prelude um, includes Grimm, it's crazy. And then, you know, he's the guy that went on to um, executive produce like Black Bastards and of course, Operation Doomsday, which we all love. And you know, the, all the characters that he turnstiled through his career has just been a
amazing. G-Rap, you know, Jizza, Lord Finesse, uh, Rock Rado was his first DJ, stuff like that. So, that little uh, interlude in L.A.? Oh, man. Yeah. Unbelievable. Insanity. It's like, yeah. who is this guy? He's like hip-hop Z-Lig in a totally. way that you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily think. And he's not, uh, his methodology is not to self-aggrandize, but when totally. he just says what happened in his normal life, it's like, crazy shit right he'll just be like i was at the battle for world supremacy with lord finesse and then we ran into chuck d okay and that was my wednesday yeah it's like exactly. what the fuck? <laughs> exactly. <You know? laughs> I, I like that on this show we don't make like a big thing out of this or we certainly try not to but like we barely had to mention he's paralyzed and in a wheelchair right. like he, totally. there's so much other stuff going on um, totally. I, I think he's just an incredible artist and i have to give dave a lot of credit here one for the booking but two for lending me the comic book version oh, of um grim's life that was like a during covid thing we both had to like wipe it down with clorox wipes uh <laughs> on either side of the transaction uh but it, it, it was such a cool thing to live in his headspace for a while the way totally. the drawings are is really cool it's very mm -hmm. hip-hop as you said and it, it just helped me recontextualize and it sent me on this journey of listening to his music i talked to him a little bit about his mega triple lp american hunger the downfall right. of iblis which is like kind of a really heady concept record when he was still kind of hooked in with doom mm -hmm. so there's doom guest verse and there's a bunch of doom beats which we all know from special herbs and spices mm -hmm. um that ep that they put out together before right. on the mask is really important to me and like helped me set me on a path in life and um he's he's just incredible um i i came up with this thing that i want to run by you guys when I was listening to a lot of Grimm, he's, he's a talk rapper for the most part in like mm -hmm. this later phase of his career. It's not about mm -hmm. tricky mm -hmm. flows or right. mm -hmm. even like um, a ton of internal rhymes or like, you know, turns of phrase. He's just kind of saying things. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be a talk rapper, you have to be wise. And I think that's what really comes across and especially his two solo albums is like, it's more about like imparting life lessons Totally is about anything yeah. else because he doesn't really seem to have much to prove. One hundred percent. I mean, yeah. his life sort of is is the proof. You know what I mean? I mean, this is the same guy. Like speaking of that um, comic book that you mentioned. I mean, in the later chapters, there, there's a section where he's in solitary confinement, and later, um, after lunchtime, sneaks in a beat machine and in and in solitary making beats. I mean, stuff like that is some real yeah. life shit. Yeah, that, you know when when you're t you know when we spoke to him, he's just like, oh yeah, um, I, I forgot exactly what the story was, but um, when when that guy from DC wanted to write a comic book about him, and he was like, why would you want to do it about me? And it's like right. you, he doesn't right. even have perspective of how ridiculous his own life is. You know what I mean? Or maybe he does, and it's just like ultimate humility. But it was just ridiculous. Yeah, that that gave me a a, a, a total different perspective on listening to him. I'm I'm gonna be honest, I. I hadn't done a ton of research about his backstory. To me, my MF Grimm experience is more like, oh, he's an acolyte of MF Doom. Right. And they've done some stuff together and I've heard some of his solo stuff, but this whole battle of world supremacy era and kind of the trajectory he was on prior to being shot, um, super fascinating and also kind of illuminates how, even though there was that corny kind of coastal beef thing that happened um, in hip hop 95, 96, it seems like, and I've heard some of our guests speak to this, is like, there were these connections. Like he's plugged in with Lady of Rage. And totally. she's just like, come through and then Corrupt is there and Dr. Dre is there. Right, and, right. Um, 
and it, it's it's such a, a uh, an interesting picture that he paints of like hip hop pre coastal war right kind of right. vibes. And he's just this natural sort of connective fabric. It's crazy, mm. you know. Like mm. he he was he was on the West talking to Lady of Rage, talking about Snoop's demo tape that he was going to give to Dre. Just crazy, crazy lore. It's crazy. Yeah, I, lore, I think what right. really comes through in the comic too, and we we I touched on it a little bit but I didn't want to super get into it is like his life has been quite violent. Like, 100%. Yeah. There, I don't think he would mind me saying this at a time in his life. He's a violent criminal. Mm-hmm. And like when you, it's so hard to reconcile that with the guy we just talked to. Right. Like this well, dude's like a yeah. philosopher. Yeah. Right. And he's just like so chill. And I, I have to say, Totally made my day, if not my year, that he has listened to the show, knew who we were, and said the podcast was dope. Like, totally. I'm taking that with me. Like, I always want to do these little tweets when these things happen. It's like, you can't tell me shit. MF Grimm likes my podcast. <laughs> totally. You can just talk to what you want. Why would yeah. I care? This is uh, done MF, and done. This is yeah. the MF pod. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway, I just, I, it's, it's so interesting to me. I think, generally speaking, because I haven't dealt with a lot of violent crime in my life, I tend to be not believe in rehabilitation but when you talk to someone like mf Grimm, you have to it's like he he did the crime he did the time he doesn't dispute it he talks about mm-hmm. it openly he mm-hmm. says he's grown he's learned he's changed this is why this mm-hmm. is what happened i find all of that very fascinating and part of what makes his life story so interesting is it is somewhat a redemption arc but it doesn't end with him on stage at the grammys or something he right. owns a, a very modest independent hip-hop label and entertainment company and he does mm-hmm. everything 100 percent the way he wants to do it and right. that's also extremely inspiring to me totally totally um it was really you know um i'm working on a little side piece with grim and um we're exchanging information and he sent me a bunch of old photographs which i can't wait to share oh, and wow. it's, it's just crazy to see him um one of the one of the photographs that he sent was um in front of a show and it was him with a West Side Gun and Conway. And it's like, dude, everyone knows. <laughs> everyone knows that's fucking grim. You know, the yeah, old guys, yeah. the new guys, you know, wow. it's, it's insane. Wow. Like yeah. a recent one or from when they were starting out? Oh no, a recent one. A oh, recent how cool. One. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But he that's sent so me, cool. he sent me old, old photographs of like him and Jizza looking like they're 12 years old. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. That's a, yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's incredible to talk to someone who has, who has lived such an incredible life, but is mm-hmm. also like super chill about it um, to where we almost kind of had to pry right. stuff out of him. Um, he, a little bit, you know, I don't want to talk and speak in, in negative terms, but he, he sidestepped the, the, the MF Doom questions a little bit. He's like, yeah. yeah. I, yeah I was going to kind of uh, question the use of the term acolyte as well. I, I would not call <laughs> Grim and Doom acolytes of one another. They're peers, if anything, right? right? Okay. I, right. I don't think one, one, one begets the other. I think they, they kind of did that together. I'd actually, let's call him back, Dave. I want to know who came up with the MF and totally like, more specifically yeah. how, how that all came to be. But um, yeah, I mean, I, it kind of reminds me of when we talked to Count Base D and it's like, you're not going to do a Count Base D article on this kind of classicist hip hop show and not ask about MF Doom. Of course. Absolutely. But he wants to talk about Count Base D and Count Base D's new album. Like he'll tell you the story. He'll tell you all about <laughs> it, but he also you got to get back to that. Yeah. Yeah. You know and, what I mean? It, it, that's, of that's interesting dichotomy because Count Base D though, 
gave us the story, right? He's like, yeah. oh, MF Doom, he's like this. And he's like, he, like, he kind of knew the red meat we wanted. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if MF Grimm is kind of like, I get this all the time. Right. Or um, he was very circumspect in his comments and like, Doom is great. I worked with him. Thank you very much. Right. Um, so right. I, I don't, I'm not reading anything into that, only just kind of pointing that out. That yeah, no, I, th I thought that was interesting too. And uh, yeah. I have to say they made some amazing music together. None more probably referenced or more interesting or more important in my life than um, Tick Tick, which has the, yeah. you know, the Beatles glass onion yeah. right, sample right. and the, right. like that slow, fast, the like playing with the signature kind of mm -hmm. thing like mind-blowing for me as, as a younger person especially as a huge like Beatles head um, mm -hmm. just to hear that and you know I hope I'm not giving anything away there I think it's a pretty obvious sample but try not to sample the Beatles on the show now? anymore um, yeah. but yeah I think um, to give such a showcase on the record is pretty telling about how intertwined they were at the time 100% I mean he was he literally said that they would buy equipment that was um, easily uh, transportable because so they could shove it into their car and drive around to hotel rooms or places they were crashing at just to record. I mean, it's ridiculous. And out yeah. of that came Operation Doomsday to, you know, to, to the thankfulness of the world. Absolutely. It's, it's a reminder that for every great piece of art that reaches our hands and our ears, the, oftentimes it takes somebody behind the scenes Mm -hmm. to like orchestrate mm -hmm. and, and put things, and I don't mean just the person with the money, but like somebody who organizes and orchestrates and even um, helps shape a vision. Um, and you totally get that sense with MF Grimm. It's that, um, you know, I, I don't use this word a lot, but like kind of visionary. Like he, mm -hmm. he, he saw something um, and it came to fruition and we're all much better for it. Uh, again, want to thank him for coming on the program. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing that he is not actually more celebrated, but I think it's just maybe folks don't know his story. And maybe after you listen to the dad bod rap pod, where you hear it first, Morgan Freeman <laughs> snuffle up against an MF doom. <laughs> Fools don't even know. They don't even know the big bird story, dog. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know the big bird story. Um, so yeah. It's from the streets, dude. Sesame street. Dude, I didn't know Sesame Street was like a street. He was like, yo, it was up in Manhattan. And I, it took everything in me to be like, what? It's, a, it's actual street. I thought this was just a soundstage in New Jersey or some shit. Like, there, there's incredible. an actual Sesame Street. Yeah. Um, super dope. Incredible. Shout out to MF Grimm uh, for, for coming on the program. Uh, Nate, one more time, because you're exposing me to the essential works of MF Grimm. I'm not going to lie. Uh, one more time, if somebody's trying to like learn about uh, his his greatness as a as a rapper, his musical output, what what are you suggesting that they start with? So there's a 12 inch on Fondulum um, that's called Landslide. I can't remember if that's the A or the B side, but that's the side I always played. There's a song called Landslide that's just a great indie rap song. Like anybody who had a backpack at any point in their life will love this song. It's a great song. The next place you should jump to is uh, this dual EP on Brick Records that is just, I think it's just called MF because it's MF Grimm and MF Doom. It's Skinny Doom before he had the mask. Mm -hmm. And um, they, he has a uh, couple songs on there. 
and and the instrumentals and it came as like a dual 12 inch with a like gatefold sleeve and there's photography and it's just like it just kind of showed where the whole thing was going with both of their careers again like this is a severely underground rap record like it's pretty bare bones um those songs are incredible and then there's a kind of a ghetto opera kind of vibe solo album called downfall of iblis Mm -hmm. um that's very good and should be listened to and then his big statement is this american hunger album which is a three cd set which is is on streaming as is downfall of iblis um, and he's got he's got records after that as well. Um, that's that's the two that I spent the most time with after reading the comic. Um, I have to say, there's there's a lot of material there. Like that that's a lot, and mm-hmm. it's um, I don't think it like is rote. It's just he's in his lane, and, and he's right. he's going down that lane. Like it's not like. Um, the roots or something where they're like, now we'll do a jazz song. And like, you know, now now, uh, here's a, here's a singer you've all heard of singing the hook. It's like, it's a, it's a kind of straightforward rhyme focused talk rappy life lesson. I'm not saying there's not different tempos. I'm not saying there's not different textures of beats, but it's like, he's doing, he's doing his thing. So in particular on the three CD set, which I got into this with him a little bit. So I don't mind saying it's a lot. Yeah, uh, totally. totally. Take, take take fifteen of the songs and make yourself a playlist <laughs> or shuffle it. I think is, totally. is honestly a, an okay way to go with that one. Um, but yeah, so MF Grimm, living legend. Um, that's some music you guys can delve into. And if you if you want the most succinct version of it and some Doom stuff, uh, go for the MF Grimm MF Doom EP on Brick. Yeah. Records. that's that's the best place to start. I would say. There it is, getting your uh, your history lesson as well as uh, some curated music to listen to. Dad Bod Rap Pod, it's what we do here. We be doing it. Uh, this is episode 137. It is our fourth episode in the uh, Stony Island uh, Pods era. Shout out to Stony Island. Stony uh, Island Audio. You know what I mean? <laughs> Shout out so to Mike Eagle. Yeah, shout out to Open Mike Eagle, um, Blueprint Illogic. Uh, yeah, the hits keep coming, y'all. I can't talk about Dave's secret booking list, but it's healthy. <laughs> it's mighty healthy. Uh, so we got we got dope shows lined up uh, for the next couple months. Definitely through um, the election and the post uh, the post uh, riot that'll happen after that. So stay tuned. <laughs> To Dad Bod Rap Pod, you can check us out on social media at Dad Bod Rap Pod on Twitter, um, Instagram. We kind of we kind of on Instagram a little bit at Dad Bod Rap Pod on Instagram. Every Friday we do a Instagram live chat um, with uh, two usually two to two of the three of us will be on there. Um, so check us out every Friday at five p.m. PST uh, and. You know, the podcast is wherever you get podcasts at. We're on Apple Music. Rate us on Apple Music, please. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying give us five stars, but, you know, don't give us four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> give us five stars. Rate us on Apple Music. It actually makes a, a, a big difference. Uh, we're also on Google Play. We're also on SoundCloud, um, Stitcher, all that good shit. Um, also, just tell a friend. If you, if you dig it and, you know, you have – friends who uh who are into this type of shit please tell them we are a flavorful niche and we depend on a uh, word of mouth um all right so parting words what is what is your parting thought mr nate leblanc who jeff gunabi 
refer to you as the Blanc, which I might just do for now on. <laughs> so for the, I'm passing it off. Final words, the Blanc. Um, I'm a little mad at myself because I let myself be a little giddy yesterday when the New York Times dropped the story about Trump's taxes. I don't know if it's going to end up being one of those things where I look back and like nothing ever matters with this shit. <laughs> right. But I right. did let myself get a little bit pleased yesterday that everyone was kind of like roasting roasting and just like yeah. we now know the depths of the con that we've all been involved with and like I just want to say it's funny because we we canceled our subscription over some kind of moral quandary a couple months ago. I'm going to resubscribe to the New York Times because we have to fund this kind of investigative journalism that takes right. so much time, effort, money, resources, basically no other publication, maybe two or three publications in the world could have done this level mm -hmm. of investigative reporting. And frankly, you have to pay for that. Right. Um, so I just right. want to say shout out to the everyone that was involved in bringing that story to light. I hope it helps us get out of this mess in November Please. slash January. But uh, what what a great moment. We finally got to see this fucking idiot's taxes and what a con artist he is. Jesus. So Dave, you also spent 70K on hair care uh, <laughs> last year. Uh, <laughs> what, is, what, is your, what is your parting thought for this week? I, my parting thought would would be on the same tangent as Nate's. Um, the the uh, the follow up, my follow up, a New York Times article is going to be called "Fuck Donald Trump." <laughs> Dave, keeping it consistent for y'all, the views and opinions expressed by Dave Ma are wholeheartedly supported by all of us here at Dad Bod Rap Pod. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Be well, stay safe, Dad Bod Rap Pod. <laughs>